Welcome to episode 316 of the Coot Street Podcast, a weekly discussion of science fiction, fantasy, and more. This week, Gary Wolf and I are joined by longtime friend of the podcast, Hugo Nebulon World Fantasy Award-winning writer Nettie Okorafor. We last spoke to Nettie way back in April 2014 when her novel Lagoon was fresh in the world. Since, there's been three, since then, there's been three more novels, an, addition, an acclaimed novella series, and much more. So, welcome to the pod, to Coot Street Podcast, Nettie Okorafor. Thank you very much. Glad to be here again. Well, yeah, it's... It seems like a long time. Lagoon was, we were talking about Lagoon maybe being a movie. Now you've got a real movie thing going on, which everybody's talking about on Twitter. You've been incredibly busy. You did a, let me see, you you did a, a TED talk in Tanzania, right? Yep, uh, yep. Wasn't that long ago. <laughs> okay. We've got, you were guest of honor at ReaderCon and Necronomicon. Uh, mm-hmm. Which must have been an experience. You've got. Let me think. See if I'm going to. I'm going to leave stuff out. You've got a Star Wars story coming out. Yeah. Um, you've got these uh, <laughs> this this week, and and a Kata Warrior will be out this week. Yes, two uh, days before that. Uh, and then in January, the final installment of the Benty. Is that a trilogy? Is it a trilogy of novellas? The first two are like novellas. This one is more like a novel. Uh, <laughs> What is the whole thing called? I call it a novella trilogy, but yeah, they did get progressively longer. Each one, I don't know. I mean, I just wrote the thing. I just wrote the thing, and then it is what it is. So, but for for the sake of calling it something, I just call it a novella trilogy. Yeah, that sounds reasonable. The the term the the Le Guin used to use was a story suite, which I always kind of liked. It sounds very sophisticated. Yes, it does. Well, I guess it's reasonable to ask, where did Binti come from? Binti, oh, Binti is interesting um, because when I wrote it, I didn't mean to write it. It was not like um, I wasn't contracted to write anything for that. Um, I just, it, it really came from my move to, from Chicago to Buffalo, New York. So like, you know, Binti is about, an African girl in the future, and I say African because it's it's in the future and borders have blended and all that. So yeah, keep it mm. general. But um, it's about an African girl in the future who gets into the finest university in the galaxy, which is on another planet, planets away, and she has to sneak away from her family to go because her family's very insular and they didn't want her to go. So that's what that's about. And the way that came about was because. Um, I had gotten into, I had uh, been accepted for this position at the University of Buffalo, and I was in Chicago, I was teaching at Chicago State University, and I hated it, Mm -hmm. hated it, and and so when I got this position, it was like a dream position, but most of my family is here in Chicago, and we're very insular and close, and so, you know, I, I accepted the position, and I went. And I and I left, and my family was really upset with me. It was a very difficult, a very uh-huh. difficult time. And so when I got to Buffalo that August, it was just so painful that I had to write. And when I'm when I'm in pain, when I'm in any kind of emotional pain, I tend to write. And so I started writing this story about this girl who goes, who leaves her family and goes to space. She leaves, she goes very far and has all of these these um, things that happen to her. And then. The things that happen to Binti when she leaves, of course, the the plot shifts. And a lot of that came from me looking at my own situation when I left and then taking the fears of my family of me leaving 
and then seeing and taking that far. So thinking, okay, oh. what is the worst thing that can happen? You know, and so that's that's really where that story came from. And I and I wrote it that August. Um, and when I finished it, it just fit. You know, the story just finished. I wasn't mm. thinking about length. I wasn't thinking about oh, I'm going to write a novel or oh, this is going to be a short story or whatever. I just wrote it because I rarely think about things like that when I'm writing. It ended, and then I looked at the length, and I was like, okay, I don't know what this is. You know, so I had to look up. I actually had to go and look up lengths of. Um, you know, story, story links to see, okay, this is Bella. And that's how I figured out it was Novella. So that's really how Binti came along. And it was the first time you'd written anything that was actually set in outer space. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and in some senses, could, except for some short stories, uh, I could argue it's the first science fiction novella in that there's really no fantasy in it. Everything in it is science fiction. I mean, go back to Zara, the Windseeker, I mean, there, or even Who Fears Death, there are magical elements in those. Um, but on the other hand, one of the things that became apparent to me, especially in this third volume, uh, is that you're really living out the old Arthur Clarke maxim that sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. In fact, you've got... You've got I, I, it's going to be hard to talk about the, the the third Bendy novel without spoiling the second one. Um, I and, so understand. Oh my gosh. Well, let me let, let me say this. I let, see if I can. Somebody was asking about the movie um, Mother, which I've not seen. Mm-hmm. Is me neither. It possible, I need to, have you seen it? Not yet. No, I have. I need to see it because so I can talk about it. Because it's well, that's. Like I, I'm feeling the same thing. Like. But but one of the one of the reviews said, is it possible to spoil a movie by talking about its central conceit rather than any plot elements? Which I think is the big deal about that movie. Well, one of the things that struck me about um, Benty the Night Masquerade, which won't be out until January, was that there are a couple of very dramatic shifts of point of view. Now that's not giving away anything, but there's a shocking moment. Yeah. <laughs> about a little bit more, which is really startling. Uh, and if I say it's a shift of point of view, is that a spoiler? Ah, uh, not if you don't go further. Yeah, okay. I know. Yeah, that's a, oh yeah, that's a big one. Yeah, that's a bit. You yeah, that's one you don't want to spoil. <laughs> Here, here's, here's the other thing I want to mention. This is all going to make people very interested in in, in reading this. I think uh, is that it has. It's the first time I've read something by you where I actually laughed out loud at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, there's a kind of a Douglas Adams moment late in the novel. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Uh, I, do, I think I do, yeah. It has to do with the university. Oh, no. No, I don't. Well, no, I'm sure you could remind – oh, man. No, I can't. I can't remind you of it. <laughs> <laughs> something to re- revisit later maybe. <laughs> <laughs> rather than to spoil yeah. it for everybody. Okay, talk about that later. Yeah. I'm really Somebody curious Somebody finds now, out that what the, – let me see if I can put this very abstractly. Uh, okay. Benty discovers that some very important secret of what could be a very important secret – Oh, yes. This advanced <laughs> alien race is much more mundane than she expected. I got it. Yep. Okay. <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. Nobody knows what we're talking about now. It was a Douglas Adams moment. It really yes. was. <laughs> it really was. Yes, yes, yes. You caught that. I'm glad. I love that. That makes me happy. <laughs> Let me ask. I mean, how has it been for you, the reception to Binti? Because, I mean, it's gone wild, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The 
it's been refreshing for me. It's been extremely refreshing. Like, because when I wrote that, you know, that was the first um, space opera type anything that I had written, Mm -hmm. like the first. And I remember when I was writing it, part of why I, you know, the story that I, I, I kind of concocted was so short. I mean, I, but when I look back now is because, you know, I knew I was writing something new that I hadn't tried before. And typically when I do something new, I don't like to start big. I don't. I will not just jump into some huge project or something that I don't feel confident with. And so so I knew, like, my subconscious probably, like, just kind of made a very small story so I could just see, test the waters. Mm-hmm. So um, when, I wrote, when, when I wrote Binti, and I knew this was my first space opera type thing, I was very, I felt, when I finished it, I felt, I loved it, but I was like, is this... Am I doing it right? I don't know if I'm doing it right. <laughs> you know, this am I doing? And um, the reception, the the reception of Binti, especially the first one, was like just so warm and surprising to me. It was really surprising. Where it like just just people just loved it, and I was like, oh my gosh! You mean I can do this? <laughs> I'm actually mm-hmm. I'm actually allowed, I'm actually able to do this. And you know, people aren't like, oh my god, this is just terrible. This isn't how you write space opera. So that was a big confidence boost for me. So once once I mm-hmm. felt a little more confident, maybe that's why they got progressively longer each time because I felt more confident each time writing this type of narrative. So um, I think like. The reception was really positive, and that was that was just a big confidence booster. Do you feel like you've learnt more about what space opera can and can't be by writing Binti? Yeah, I have because I know, I know from space operas that I've read and, and films that I've watched, I know there's a specific format that I see a specific type of story, a specific way of telling the story that I'd always seen. And I know when I sit down to write something, I'm not going to spit back what's been done. I just, I'm not capable of doing that. I get bored. I, you know, if it's already been done, I can go and enjoy it and that's fine. And that's all I need. Um, so I knew that when I would write it, it would be something else. Um, and when I, and I, when I wrote Binti, I did learn, I'm like, okay, especially with, with the reception of it. Um, I learned that there was more like that, the, that, type of narrative there there is more to tell in that type of narrative there's more that can be done um and it just took it took a little confidence for me because it was it was i I knew what i was questioning at first but i just did it anyway and 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 it's it's nice i feel like i've opened up some doors um that felt closed to me before well i was going to ask as well i mean do you feel like it opened a new or is opening a new audience for you that it's a different kind of story and it takes you to a different kind of place as a writer? I mean, I hope so. I hope so. I, I, I think that um, every time that I have tried something different, I think it does kind of bring, you know, bring different, bring more, just different people to that type of writing. So I think so. I think so. But it's not something that I consciously am trying to do, but it's it's more like a, something that just happens. It does strike me. I mean, I, I know that you you grew up reading a lot of science fiction and that you've seen a lot of science fiction movies. And there's, there's also a subversive element. I think we can sort of maybe spoil a little bit of Binti because 
and we're on the third volume already. But you know, the, again, there's a very shocking scene very early on in in, in that novel, and it's almost uh, it, it's it's almost an alien moment, except. The alien like becomes her best pal after that. That's very weird. <laughs> yeah, it's a very yeah. odd way of looking at the alien. It really is. Um, I and let me just say this: when I wrote it, I did not think aliens. You know, I did not think that. It's really, old, but I love that. I do love that film. Yeah, I do love that film. I read the like the movie um, adaptation, the the novelizations. <laughs> so I do love aliens. And, and aliens, um, mm-hmm. but like it wasn't something that I was. So it might have been somewhere in the back of my mind. It might have been in my subconscious, just like Star Wars is always there, always there. Uh-huh. But um, it was only after uh, after Binti was published that I that I noticed it. But so so there's that. But also like uh-huh. I don't know. That's just how the story happened. <laughs> you know it, it. I it I don't know. Binti moved in a, in a way that was unexpected for me as I was writing it. Like the, the fact of, of the, the, um, I don't want to say enemy, but like the, the, the antagonistic encounter of the Medusa, yeah. um, in, and ended up being the way it was, was unexpected for me, but also like, I think about just, um, about relation war and, and the negotiations and the way we handle conflict with others. And mm-hmm. I think in a lot of ways it reflects a lot of my own philosophies about these things where they, these things are not as simple as many would think um, that there are other ways of, there are other forms of power that are not violent. Um, violence is not always the, always the answer uh, communication can do strange things, you know, et cetera. So, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a theme that runs throughout a lot of your work. But uh, the other thing which I noticed looking at the whole Benny series is that there are at least some vague parallels with the Akata Witch series. I mean, in both cases, you have a young girl leaving a culture that she knows, going to a culture where she's not entirely sure she'll be accepted becoming kind of a special person in that culture. And in both cases, they're going to, well, Sunny and Akata is not really going to university, but she's going to school. She's going away. She she gets involved in the school and learns a lot of things she didn't think she could learn. Um, So this idea of somebody leaving leaving the comfortable culture that they grew up in, uh, going off to learn things and, and to learn their own place in things, it's something that both series seem to have in common. Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. I think actually a lot of my stories in general tend to have that, have that theme. Um, well, actually, Zara even I, had some of that. Yeah, girls, girls and women leaving, <laughs> yeah, leaving the of their homes and then going on some kind of adventure or where they learn and change. Mm-hmm. You know, that's always been. It. But that also might be the hero's journey. There's the general hero's journey yeah. there's that um but th- but i know that that for me um being who i am that is definitely something that is always on my mind this idea of leaving um leaving the status quo leaving leaving comfort 
and in doing so, going out and then meeting the world, meeting the world and being affected uh-huh. by the world. That is really, that's an important story. That, that's a story that's so important to me that I seem to keep telling it over and over and over again in various ways. Yeah, yeah. Is that your own experience? I mean, basically growing up uh, in a fairly affluent suburb of Chicago and then making many, many trips to Nigeria mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and learning. I mean, you're an Akata yourself, sort of, aren't you? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. That's where the title came from. I'm used to being called that. I am one who but, lives on borders. I live on a lot of borders between, you know, I'm Nigerian, I'm American, I'm neither, I'm both. Um, I'm athlete, but I'm also bookworm. You know, I, I just, I exist on many different kinds of borders. So um, that's something I, I'm, you know, that's part of my own narrative. And I guess that's being uh, manifesting itself in the stories that I'm telling. Also, I think a lot of it has to do with, with, um, I like to explore fear as well. Um, so it started with Zara the Windseeker and even the Shadow Speaker, which is later, which is also about a girl leaving. She walked yeah, into the right. desert. Zara walked into a jungle. So, um, but it started with Zara the Windseeker because, in a lot of ways, you know, Zara does something that I couldn't do. You know, I couldn't even imagine myself doing. And it was nice yeah. to explore that in a narrative where it's like, okay, what would this be like? I mean, she, in the, at, I think it was at night, I'd have to look again, either at night or she, she gets up and she goes into this terrifying jungle. I mean, have you looked at a jungle and thought about walking into one where there's no trail? Uh-huh. <laughs> She's able to do that. And she goes, she goes, she not only walks into a jungle, but she goes like miles and miles and miles into that jungle, spending the night in trees, dealing with horrifying Humongous spiders. Oh my God, the spiders in that story. Spiders. Everything about spiders, don't you? You're always <laughs> no. tweeting about the spiders you see. I can't deal with spiders. Okay, <laughs> just I can't deal with spiders. They are unpredictable, erratic, and terrifying creatures. Oh my God! And the bigger, the scarier <laughs> they are. But she does this, and um, it's like even when I just think about what Zara did in the first novel that I wrote, it's terrifying to me. But it's also like. I got to go with her on that journey, uh-huh. and it was it was like facing so it was like facing my own fears. So that was that's just an important narrative to me. Did you, just out of curiosity, since we've been talking about the parallels between the series, I mean, the Akata, the, uh, there are only the two Akata novels. There's not going to be a third yeah. one. Okay, so that's <laughs> that's a two volume series. That. Well, I mean, we, you, you you shouldn't promise that there's not going to be a third one until until you <laughs> I, find out what happens with the second one. I really want to. Uh, okay, I'm not going to say anything. Okay, but, the yeah. second one. It's 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 safe to say that Akata Warrior turns into an epic, but since they both have similar young woman characters, one is a YA, and Benty, I assume, is not necessarily conceived as YA. Is there a difference in in the way you write something like the Akata series when you know you have a YA audience? I think that. There are the only difference that I can see is just like when I deal with certain subjects, um, I, I'm more likely in a YA um, story. I'm more likely to feel a responsibility to explain certain things, like mm. who fears death when we deal with the issue of rape. You know, if I were writing Who Fears Death as a YA novel, uh. I do. 
see myself writing that scene like that, like that, <laughs> you know, yeah. that scene, you know, um, I wrote that scene. It was horrible to write that, 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 that particular scene. Um, I couldn't put that in a YA novel, not, not with that amount of detail, no. not just like thrown at the reader, just like, this is what happened. You know, this is how it happened. These are the, this is, these are all of the sensory details of how it's happening. And I'm not going to explain it to you. I'm not going to be soft about it. Like if I, if I were to write about that in a YA, I'm not saying that I wouldn't. Um, but if I were to write about that in a YA novel, there's a certain care I feel I'd have to take with the subject matter that I right. don't feel I have to take in an adult novel. That's, that's, I think that's the main difference when, but if, if we're talking about like, um, the, the writing and the way the story moves and the characters and all that, it's all relative, relatively the same to me. Like I will just, you know, there's very little difference. I think the main difference for right. me is that, that specific, like whether I'm going to, like how soft I am with the reader on certain specific subject matters. At what point in the process then of writing a story, whether it be Akata, whether it be Binti, whether it be Zara, do you get a feeling for what that audience for it is going to be? You know, like, you know, do you feel early on this is likely to be YA or do you find yourself at the end of it having written the end going, okay, well, now I have to put my writer hat on and kind of go, where does this fit in the world? Um, there's sometimes where it's really clear. It's very obvious like with Zara the Windseeker it was obvious I didn't have to think very hard about it and usually I don't think about it at all from the even to the end I don't think about it but when I get to the end I'll look at it and be like okay what is this Zara the Windseeker was easy Who Fears Death was clearly adult to me um Quinty mm -hmm. was adult I wrote it you know it was adult even though main characters young and many people say it's young adult to me Binti is adult um but like my mo my recent novel, um, Remote Control, <laughs> that one, <laughs> sorry, we have to mention it, because, uh, like, when it comes to that one, I've, Remote Control has taken me six years to write that thing. And even, and I've edited that thing multiple times and multiple times, got to the end, submitted it to my editors. I still don't know what that is. <laughs> I don't know what that is, and I'm very curious to see what my editors call it. I have no idea. It's mm, this is un, you know. this is unconnected from all of your other novels. This is not part of a um, series. It's kind of remote control is kind of ironically it, it's the prequel to the Book of Phoenix. So I've written okay. a trilogy backwards. So like <laughs> that Book of Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. Well, I was going to ask if it was a a, a singleton-like lagoon, because it's, it appears, at least from what you see online about it, that remote control is being published the same kind of way. It's been published in the UK and then in the US sort of thing. So I thought, if you know, whereas I would have thought that if you're writing your trilogy for Who Fears Death, it would all be together nice and, neat, nice and neatly. Nothing I do is neat or normal. It's like, I can't. <laughs> honestly, uh, it's, it's the way I write it, because I didn't write it as a trilogy, it was just, that's just how it happened. So really, it stands alone. But, like, if you read all three of them together, you will see how they are linked. You'll see it. But you don't need to read all three of them. They, it, Remote Control stands completely alone. Um, Book of Phoenix basically stands completely alone. Who Fears Death yeah. stands completely 
completely alone, but they're 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 still this they're still a trilogy. But in terms of the way they're being published, they're not being published as a trilogy, if that makes sense. And it has a lot to do with the way that I've written them. I just I can't control how I write things. It's like I can't write in an order. I just it just um I just can't. Like even with the with the Binti the Binti trilogy, like they didn't expect me to write part two. They didn't expect me to write Binti Home. I just wrote it and then was like, you know, here it is. And, and they were like, oh, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And then same with uh, The Night Masquerade. I just wrote, I wrote it in secret. I wrote, actually, all three of those I wrote in secret. I didn't mention it to my agent or my editor or anything when I wrote all three of them until they were done. And then they were all, all surprises. So that, and the reason was because I can't, I don't know when I'm going to write something. I didn't know when I was going to write the next part. I knew I was going to write another part of Binti. I knew that. I knew it. Uh-huh. I just didn't know when it would come. I always have to wait for it to come. And each time with Binti, it came, it always came in August. So August, 2014, 2015. And then the, the outline for the night masquerade came in 2000 and, um, 16, but I didn't have time to write it until a little bit later. So, uh-huh. yeah, I just, I can't do it. And so with the, with the, with Who Fears Death, the Book of Phoenix, and now Remote Control, I, you know, I can't control that. I think I was writing Remote Control before I wrote The Book of Phoenix, even though chronologically The Book of Phoenix comes after Remote Control, but was published before. Yeah, <laughs> I see the problem. So, yeah. Well, actually, that touched on something else I was going to ask you because your life seems to be, get, be getting when you talk about it and when we see you know, the public evidence of it at times more and more complex and complicated. And so I'm curious as to how you find time to write and does the writing of projects overlap or are, are you approaching them sequentially and in an immersive way that, you know? Yeah, it's become like... Yeah, life has become very complex. Even though I've simplified it a lot when I took a year off of teaching at Buffalo, so now I'm in Chicago. But I have, it's very, it's just I'm all over the place, literally. You know, I was just in Tanzania. Then, like, about a week later, I was in Hawaii, and then I'm going to be in Germany. and then So I'm bouncing all over the place. You know, I've got a high school student now. Um, and in between that, like, I, I'm actually, it's not even in between. Like, for example, Binti and Binti Home were written mainly, especially Binti Home, written mainly in an airport. Like, I was writing that thing in airports. I learned how to, at first, you know, I used to have a great fear of flying, and I've since gotten over that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I could live to get over it. Um, so I've learned how to write when I'm in the airplane. I've learned how to write when I'm in the airport. I've learned how to... Um, something I learned early on with, when I had my daughter was how to drop into concentration very quickly when I have a very limited amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so I get it done. I don't, it's, it's like, I don't quite know how I do it, but I know what it's, the result is there. <laughs> so, so, it's there. so somehow I'm doing it, but I, whenever I, I'm very disciplined. So when I have time and when I'm home, like I've been home for maybe the last, um, not that long, but whatever. It's been a week. Been home for a week. And in that week, if you knew how much I've gotten done in that week. It's for you. Incredible. And they all seem to be – this is getting away from anything particularly relevant. It does seem to me that you you started 
doing a lot more writing in a lot more different areas after you got out from under that horrible teaching load at Chicago State. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. As soon as I, once I was not teaching four classes a semester, they were all mm-hmm. different. Composition one, composition two. Yeah. Of writing <laughs> per semester. Um, my, pr- my productivity went up. But the funny thing is I wrote a lot of um, Akata Warrior. I wrote that during when I was under that workload. Oh, really? Like, wow. I, yeah, yeah. I spit that. And same for um, the Book of Phoenix. I spit those both out when I was under that workload. I was writing even when I had all of that. So I always find time. I always, it's like breathing. I have to. Nothing's going to stop me from doing that. <laughs> I guess that begs the question, do you see yourself moving away from academia? Um, I, that's what I'm doing this year, and I'm going to see how it goes. Um, we'll see. We'll see. I, I, wh- one thing I've learned is that um, I, move with, I move with whatever is pushing me. Like, uh, the universe push, takes me where I need to go. So, like, I haven't it's been a long time since I've actually had an actual plan. I don't plan, you know, um, <laughs> I don't have any goals where I'm like, okay, in this number of years, I want to be here and do this. And I have no plan. And so, so like, I, I we'll see. That's always been my, my answer to these things. Let me just see how this goes. And the answer will come to me as I see how this goes. Um, I, I do. I love teaching. I do love teaching. Um, and I, I like the, the framework of that. There's something about it that goes well with writing. You know, sometimes it gets me, it gets me away from the writing where I need to get away from the writing where I just get so focused on what I'm doing. It's good to get out of my head, get in front of a class, teach some students, um, kind of, kind of, um, pour what I've learned into them. You know, that's really, that's, that's something I really, really enjoy. I like being in front of a class Mm. and I like, and I like interacting with new writers and students. I like that. Um, But at the same time, I have to find that balance where I can write because the writing is like, I got to write, you know, and if I'm the, if I, if something is keeping me from that, that's not good. (laughs) I'm not going to be happy with that. So we had had Jeffrey Ford on a couple of weeks ago who taught, community college, five courses a term for years and years, and wrote all, won all his, won all of his world fantasy awards while he was doing that. He got energy from his students. Other mm-hmm. people just think it drags them down, and you seem yeah. to be somebody who gets some energy from being a teacher. Yeah, I, yeah, I do, um, but at the same time, sometimes students need to be a little more understanding about <laughs> what it is to <laughs> do, and so if I have to go and speak somewhere... I got to go and speak somewhere. Mm-hmm. And if I have to, you know, like, like, I don't know, you, you're the, the, uh, there are demands from multiple places. And sometimes students have to understand that I'm in demand in other places other than right. the university. Yeah. That must in its own way be a pleasurable thing to be in demand in, in different places. Yes, it's good. It's good. Um, it can be stressful. As well, because uh, for me, I, I, I'm I'm very, like I said, I'm very disciplined and I'm really hard on myself. I'm the biggest critic, and I ha- also have this thing in me where I feel like I, I need to please everybody, you know. And when you want to please everybody and you and you're in high demand, 
you find yourself trying to please everybody and mm. then you find yourself really, really stressed out because you put so much pressure on yourself and I don't like disappointing people, all of that. So, so yeah, it's great to be in high demand. It means you're doing something right. It means you're doing something that's resonating with lots of people and that's beautiful. Um, but at the same time, if you're the type of person that puts a lot of pressure on herself, which is which I am, it can be also um, there can be a stressful element to it. It's a it's a celebrity thing, I suppose. And I and, and this has probably gotten out of hand. I suppose we ought to address this very briefly uh, <laughs> because it's very exciting if HBO is actually going to yeah. develop uh, Who Fears Death. It's a lot better idea than the latest Weiss and that, that confederacy thing. Uh, but just for the record, George is not taking time away from his own work to do this. He's not writing it. You're not, this is just something that, you know, is, is out there and it's great if it happens. Uh, mm-hmm. But how did this become a controversy of some sort? Um, you tell me, <laughs> I think, I think a lot of people have a lot of fears, a lot of fears, um, they've seen a lot of things go wrong. Um, yeah. Uh, they're really excited about the possibilities. So there's that, that energy, you know, um, and there are a lot of issues that are already around, like issues of race, issues of gender, all those things that are already kind of in the atmosphere. And so when the, this project was introduced into all of that, a lot of things just um, just kind of exploded. It was like it was an explosion of, of tears and confetti. And, and, you know, yeah. it's like wonderful things, like wonderful excitement, but also this anxiety, and then also anger and rage and glory, and uh, like it was it, it was quite fascinating. Um, and all while, and, and what, what was really fascinating was being a part of something where you know exactly what is going on on the inside. Exactly. Uh-huh. And, and so those things that are going on on the inside are really exciting. And you can't really talk about those things. Right. At the same time, while all these people out there have no idea what's going on and are speculating, and then they're speculating towards sometimes really positive but way too far ahead, and then a lot of times super negative, where you're like, whoa, that is, has nothing to do with what's going on, and, and you're so off. I wish I could say how <laughs> off you are, but I can't say. So it, it's, yeah, it's been very, very interesting. I've learned a lot. I'll probably write. This will probably show up in some story of mine at some point, in some uh, way. Well, let me ask this. Uh, I mean, and this wouldn't, I think, breach anything that you couldn't talk about about the project. How far along do you feel you are in it? Like, really sort of sh- shallow water at the very beginning of it, or you're beginning to move into it? I think we're, we're right. We're in the very beginning. We're in the very beginning, but like there are elements of really powerful elements of interest who want to push this thing forward, you know, um, with much energy and much passion, but we're in the, we're in the beginning and we're, the work needs to be done. It's like, it's like, it's one thing to talk about things way down the line, but to get way down the line, there's this, there's work that needs to be done, like actively done where we sit down, meet, um, write, outline, Mm -hmm. write, 
discuss like these things that need to be done. And that's really what I want to focus on as opposed to all the strange hype that's just kind of, every, but yeah, we're very much, we're very much in the beginning, but it's, it's not something that's stagnant and not moving. It's very much in motion. Very good to hear. I mean, one of the things you must've had this experience with your students as I have that, um, my, my mantra was that the most dangerous word students use is they. And what I see is, uh, on, on all, all the Twitter and Facebook stuff is, I hope they don't rule it. I hope that yeah. what students don't understand is that there is no they. Somebody has to write a script. Somebody yeah. has to hire actors. Somebody has to, yeah. you know, do set designs. There are individual people, and who those people are are really going to determine whether this project amounts to something or not. But mm-hmm. HBO is not a they. Um, <laughs> George, as we well know, George Martin does not have any control over uh, his series other than what he writes in his novels now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but there, I want to raise another issue, uh, which is your, your views of what's be emerging as uh, a lot of attention being paid to African or in some cases, Niger-American uh, mm-hmm. science fiction. Jeff, uh, Jeff Ryman has his project with a hundred writers, most of whom, many of whom are not even available in the States. I just read a novel, uh, I wanted to ask you about this because it's another writer who identifies as as Niger-American, Deji Bryce Olokotan. Is that right? Am I pronouncing that at all right? Yeah, I I think so. Uh, I have to see the spelling. O-L-U-K-O-T-U-N. Actually, if you can see that. (laughs) There we go. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... um, I mean, he'd written an earlier novel called Nigerians in Space, which I looked at, and unfortunately there are no Nigerians in space actually in it, but it's about the Nigerian brain drain. This is actually a science fiction novel. So is there a growing interest? I know you've had you, you, you've won awards. You've had um, many of your books published, if not all of them. Um, is there a really kind of a renaissance in um, Nigerian, Nigerian-American, African science fiction, do you think? Um, yeah, I think there's definitely it, it's it's coming up. It's coming up. I think that that something has changed in the last. I'd say it's 2017, probably yeah. close to the last 10 years, um, where I, I feel like African and I'm you know we know Africa is not a country. It's a diverse place. Blah blah. Right. Okay, um, African writers are feeling the freedom to write different types of, of narratives, you know, as opposed to the usual, um, which are very good, you know, um, the usual expected types of narratives. I think that, that science fiction is one of those, um, growing areas where we're going to see more. Yeah. I I definitely think that that is it. And I'm, I'm actually really curious because I'm going to be at the Ake festival, um, Hopefully, if I get my visa through, but I, I'm going to be at the festival in Nigeria, and I'm going to definitely listen. I'm going to be listening to see what the pulse is. But I do believe that now. Um, I, I do think that that African writers are feeling freer and freer to tell different types of narratives. Even you know Nigerian American writers. You know, and this is something that's always been important to me. Um, Niger. We we come from a different point of view our point of view is is unique in many ways where uh-huh. we have multiple cultures going on and there's and the type of writing that emerges from our experience has its own flavor 
you know, and, and it's nice to see more writers coming out um, referring to themselves in this way, like owning that, owning that right. identity where, you know, we, we don't necessarily feel we have to be this or that, that we know we're both because we really are. And, and, and um, the type of narratives that come out of that. So I think that's, that's important, but yeah, I do think that we're going to see more, um, more science fiction coming, coming out of Africa. There are some issues with, with access, definitely, you know, with a- African writers and access and some other issues, but I yeah. think that there, I think change has already sparked and I think it's going to, um, it's definitely blooming now. It certainly does seem that Afrofuturism has gone from being an idea and an aspiration to being much more of an actual thing, uh, that you're much more likely as a, a non-African reader to hear about writers from part, different parts of Africa, whether it be Nigeria or South Africa or wherever else. And that has to be a good thing. And I do wonder how much of that has to do with things like mobile phone technology and all that helping spread uh, yeah, their, their work and make it more available. <laughs> yeah, I think that like even, well, it's not just that, the availability, I do think that um, things like social networking have gotten the word out that it is okay to write this kind of stuff. That it that it is indeed real literature to write uh, science yeah. fiction, write crime fiction, you know, it, genre fiction, whatever you want to call it. It is real literature. It is not because in in the past, I remember when Zara first came out. I remember people in Nigeria saying, "Oh, what what is this fantasy? Is this like folk tales or what is?" You know, there was no terminology for that. I think that has changed. I think that mm-hmm. like. Uh, a lot of the and a, a lot of it has to do with just more um, knowledge of this type of this type of writing. Um, it's not a trend, you know. I've seen some people calling like Afrofuturism or um, African science fiction and fantasy that it's a trend, and that is an insult to even say that. That is an insult to so many. But in in a way, but, isn't that isn't that an African version of what has happened in English and American literature? Decades ago, and is still going on. For example, we, we actually we talked about we talked about this during your dissertation. I recall that you know the the, the Africa the model of a novel uh, would be something that looked vaguely like Ian Porter. In, in in African terms, it would be things fall apart, and things fall yeah. apart is a great novel, but it's only one kind of novel. And I know that in some cases. Um, apologists for African literature would always cite Achebe and they would never cite Amos Tutuola because he was too vernacular, too low class, I guess, and too fantastic. He was telling tall tales. Uh, He was not writing novels that looked like the model of a British novel, which I think is a colonial heritage. I think the idea, the same thing happened in India. Novels in India that looked a lot like British novels were much more well received by the upper classes than than Indian novels. I, I know you've there. There are some great fantasies that have come out of African literature. One of them you recommended to me years ago called *Wizard of the Crow*. I mean, yeah. it's like nine hundred pages long or something, but still. Yeah, I think there is a there. Colonialism did play a part in the suppression of African science fiction. Yes, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Do you feel? As a very successful science fiction and fantasy writer, any kind of responsibility to play a role in bringing that work to a Western audience? 
Repeat that one more time. Do you, as a very successful science fiction and fantasy writer today, uh, being of a Nigerian-American background, feel some responsibility to play a role in bringing Nigerian and African work to a Western audience and to playing some kind of a part in that transfer of art and culture? I think that... um I, I think that one, there are different skill sets. I, one thing that I am not is an editor mm-hmm. and like, I'm just not an editor and it does not come um, naturally or unnaturally to me. Um, I think that the, the, the part that I can play is in um, speaking to writers in the events that I go to and um, passing on the knowledge that, that I do have. Uh, and, and, and trying to help them not make the same mistakes that I've made, um, what to expect, uh, how to, how to get your work out there, how to write, how to, um, sit down and actually get it done. Those are the things, those are the areas where I feel I would be most helpful. Um, but when it comes to, you know, editing an anthology, I can't see myself doing that. No, but I mean, what you're talking about is is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, but is really critical. It's that kind of sinew of a relationship that builds up as you begin to share a perspective with a group of people who don't have access to that perspective, maybe normally. uh, And by Mm -hmm. giving them that information, that context, it empowers them to be able to be more involved and take a larger role in the science fiction fantasy community or whatever else. Oh, sure. And, and also like connecting, connecting people with, um, you know, connecting, connecting writers to, to editors and age, et cetera, like doing, doing things like that. I mean, I can do that in a, in a limited capacity as one person, but I think that what I bring most, um, what I bring most to the table is, um, you know, the experience, like just interacting, relaying my experiences also just, just by virtue of doing what I'm doing. Because I look at, for example, Octavia Butler and seeing how just her, just by her writing what she wrote and me finding it, the effect that it had on me, you know, was, was intense because it was like, I just, discovered Octavia well after I had started writing. I discovered Octavia while I was at um, Clarion, at a Clarion, oh. Clarion Writers Workshop. So that was, I was writing by then. I was pretty, you know, pretty established as, a, like, in my mind as, okay, I am a writer. Um, I discovered her book, I discovered uh, Wild Seed in the bookstore because it had a black woman on the cover and it was in the science fiction and fantasy section and that was never, that never happened. And I, and I bought the book not knowing who she was. And then I opened it and read and read this narrative where I'm like, oh my god, that's an Igbo woman. Oh my god, she's a shapeshifter. Oh my god, this guy, you yeah. know, it was just, it was incredible. And so when I read that, when I and from that point on, I read everything that she had ever written. Um, but just by just by reading her and seeing that she existed, there was like a I had this feeling of. Um, it was like a feeling of validation within myself where I was like, okay, you know, this, this exists, you know, and I didn't even know I was looking for that validate. I did not even know I was looking for it. But when I found it, when I saw that, okay, here's another, here's a black woman who is writing about um, Nigerian characters in the past who have, who have all these 
mystical abilities and do it. It was it was incredible to me. It just give it gave me this energy that I needed to do what I was doing because I'm like, okay, it can be done. That was the first time I saw that that this thing that I wanted to do can be done, and that was really powerful to me. So hopefully, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh yeah. So hopefully there are. Um, up and coming writers who look at what I'm doing and have that same um, have that same response, that same feeling. It strikes me that it's really important that. that there's you, that there's someone like you right, doing what you do, and that you are not even a unique example now in the field. You know, because we've got mm-hmm. Nalo and you know, we've got mm-hmm. Nora and whoever else. So that's got to be a immensely valuable thing, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's like that. I that was just an incredible for me. That was the first science fiction narrative that I read that was written by a black woman. It was the first one. Yeah. Well, the other thing yeah. that's interesting, I, I could see echoes of the Wild Seed series in the third Venti volume. I mean, there's a lot of ancient stuff. Again, I'm not going to spoil anything. But the thing that fascinates me also is that that series, in particular. Uh, was based on research. She she did not know Africa. She did not know African culture firsthand. Mm-hmm. Uh, she intuited a lot of it. Um, she was a voracious reader, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I actually had talked to her about that. But she knew that she was not representing that culture from any firsthand experience. So your sense is that she got it right. Yes, and I, I actually talked to her about that. I talked to her about I said... Oh, really? Uh, she, yes, she had asked me about um, about Anyangu and uh-huh. the trail of pre-colonial Nigeria. And she was like, okay, right. okay, how did I do? How did I do? I'm like, yeah, yeah, you, 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 you did it well. Right. I said the only part where, the only part that was not correct was um, Anyangu's name because Anyangu is a male name as opposed to a, a female name. But uh. I said everything, you were right on, spot on. Yeah, yeah. And I remember her saying that she had never been to Nigeria, and I was like, no. oh, "Really? Wow!" I was I was very surprised by that. It's cool. With Akata Warrior coming out next week, and we're saying that that's probably the final book in that. How does it feel to be to, to be done with, with with that story? To be done with Sunny and that world? Um, it's probably not the final. <laughs> <laughs> There are four prequels in the works. I want to hear about Sonny's life in New York. <laughs> oh, yeah, I could do that. Um, it's like fantastic to- beasts, and where to find them? You have 1920s New York. You just do a prequel <laughs> going back. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, rephrase that question because it's probably not. <laughs> well, let me put this way. How does it feel after whatever it is, five years, to be putting the next chapter of that story in the world? Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. I'm so, so very excited because Akata Warrior, I remember the state of mind that I wrote that in. Oh, God, I was in such a state. But what, because I was <laughs> like in this just not happy place, that kept me happy. Writing Akata Warrior was a joy. Like where writing Who Fears Death was tough and I was writing through pain, writing Akata Warrior was just a joy. I had so much fun writing that. Um, And I feel like Akata Warrior is a much stronger, and of course that makes sense because I wrote, it took me six years to write Akata Warrior. So it's, 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 
think it's um, was it six years between? Yeah, it's about seven, maybe seven six years. years between, six years. Okay, six years between a kata witch and a kata warrior. So that's six years of improving as a writer. Yeah. So I just felt I, I feel like the the writing is just stronger, um, more confident, and when I. When I wrote Akata Witch, I knew Akata Witch was the first of a series. I knew it. I knew it. And uh-huh. I, I originally ended it in a way where there's a, a, um, a vague, not that vague, cliffhanger at the end. And I mm. had to change it because my, my publishers were like, okay, we want to test this out first. We want, we want this to be a standalone. And I never felt like when I changed that ending, I never felt like the ending was fit the book. And when I look at the reviews of Akata Witch, one of the things they always say was, oh, the ending felt rushed. And, oh, it's so frustrating hearing that every time. Like, <laughs> Come on. Because I knew why it felt rushed. Because I'm like, that wasn't the ending. But <laughs> with Akata Witch, I was able to do what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. You know, I finished, like, when I got to the end of Akata Warrior, um, that was where I wanted to end it. So yeah. I just feel like, uh, I, it's just the writing is stronger, and I went and and since between Akata Witch and Akata Warrior, my confidence in um, going into that world and dealing with the juju and the mysticism and the the the, the creatures has got. I've gotten a lot more confident with that. I'm not as yeah. Your, yeah your 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 creatures are more out there than they. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because there were a lot of out there creatures way back in Zara the Windseeker. Yeah. But they have more agency now. Yeah, uh, the grass cutter is a is a is a really cool. <laughs> I, I don't know. It's in, in a weird way. It reminds me of that flying thing in the Never Ending Story. Uh, yeah. I don't <laughs> even know what dress. the name of Falcor. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Falcor. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Exactly. Um, have you been tempted to go back and do a revised edition of Akata Witch then to change that ending now that Akata Warrior exists? Um, I haven't thought about that, but, um, I think, you know, at this point, I think it is, it is what it is. And I think that's, it is what it is, but, but I'm happy that I can say it in an interview that the ending was different (laughs) and there's a reason I felt at the end. I'm so happy to be able to finally say that because so many reviews, it was like, it was like every single review where they're like, oh, this would have been perfect, but the ending felt rushed. Oh, so frustrating. But yeah. (laughs) They made me do it. Um, One one term we should have you explain before we go because it's it's a term which is central both to the Benti series and to the Akata series is masquerade, which means something very different than it does to most Americans thinking only in terms of Mardi Gras. Yeah. Yes. Masquerades are um, in most, actually in most West African, I think generally African um, cultures, there are, there is some form of masquerade. Um, Mm. Masquerade, and we'll stick with Nigeria. um, We'll stick with Nigeria for now uh, because that's what, what Akata Witch deals with. So masquerades are manifestations of the ancestors or the dead. And Mm. so like they, they come out during celebrations and during gatherings, um, so ironically, Christmas, which is funny, it doesn't make sense, but um, Christmas, uh-huh. their weddings, uh, funerals, uh, gatherings, and they tend to, and they, they're all kinds. The Yoruba have the agungun, very colorful cloth, spins, just 
really um, both terrifying and, and wonderful at the same time. The Igbos have their masquerading traditions as well. Um, and they can be small, they can be small, they can be huge, they can be monstrous. Uh, there is one on my blog that I had from Things Fall Apart, um, the movie, the TV series. There's a masquerade in that. There are many masquerades and things that. that fall apart, but there. Oh yeah, it's it's hard to find. It's very hard to huh, find. Never heard um, of it. It was it was done in the '80s, and it features one of the one of the uh, most famous um, Nollywood actors. He's like one of these, like the grandfather of Nollywood. Um, mm-hmm. Main character, he plays a Kunkwo. Um, but they had, the masquerades in that were just awesome. They were huge and monstrous. I have a clip that I have on my blog where um, I, I show those masquerades. I can't remember what the what the the link was, but I think it says maybe never unmask a masquerade. And I have that clip from the Things Fall Apart um, TV show. Oh. So, so yeah, they're, they're monstrous. And so when I wrote about them, when the first time I, I, I saw a masquerade portrayed, and I have a whole history with them. Like I dealt with them a lot when I was little and where I was running away from them and they were attacking my sister, all those kinds of things. But um, oh. in, in the first time I saw a masquerade presented in the way that I always imagined them was in the book Famished Road by Ben Okri. And there's a line where you just see this masquerade burst forth and it's on a horse. And it's just, it was, it wasn't just a, it wasn't just a, a man in a costume. It was like a real beast. And I remember when I read that, I was like, yes, that's what I'm talking about. And so um, in actually, have I, yeah, there's a masquerade in Zara the Windseeker. I think there's one in, in, in the Shadow Speaker. And then you have masquerades in the Akata, Akata Warrior and Akata right. Witch and who, and who Fears Death. I mean, there's a humongous one in Who Fears right, Death. Right, there's a huge... So there's yeah. A, yeah, they're scary. In other words, there's a yeah. there's a way yeah. in which they're a little like Pennywise. Yeah. Why? Just I don't want to talk about Pennywise. <laughs> I'm terrified. Absolutely. Yes, they and are. Gooby freaked you out. Oh my gosh! Why did you make that that connection? <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I, but let's. No, but, they are like Pennywise. Oh my god! Wow! Wow! Oh, what can I do with that? Just forget I have to think I about that. Great. No, that's just, good. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> I'm absolutely terrified. Of I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of a of a kind of American pop culture equivalent of mm-hmm. what you just described. And the mm-hmm. scary clown is as close as I could come to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But at, but at the same time, um, not all masquerades, because some masquerades are oh. uh, mystical. They're good. They're just strange. You know, they may bring something. Um, so you've got the Pennywise type masquerades, but you also have the—they're almost godlike and they're benign and benevolent um, yeah, masquerades. Okay. So they're different types. They're different types, but and you see all kinds in, um, in especially the Akata Witch and Akata Warrior. Yeah. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to touch on before we wind up, and we should wind up soon. It's been about six years since uh, you won the World Fantasy Award. And that was something that ended up playing out into something probably far more than you might initially have uh, anticipated when you first were uh, advised of a nomination for the award. How, mm-hmm. after this time, looking back on it, do you feel it is all has, – has, has, has it all played out? Has it changed things? Or do you think that things are different in our field now? Um, I think 
that one I have no regrets with writing that blog post. It started a whole <laughs> blurry of activity. I'm so glad I did. I'm very glad. I look back and I'm like, man, if I hadn't done that, I would have. I would be very angry with myself. You know, I, I, that's that was one of those times where you step you step up and, and say something. So I'm very glad that I did that, and I'm glad about. I, I, I like what ended up happening, where others came came along and then took the mantle and 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 and, and grew it and made it even bigger. And this conversation started. You know, mm-hmm. and I think that, that that's what I think has changed. That conversation was had, um, and sometimes it was horrible and ugly and nasty, but it was a conversation um, that was begun. Uh, have things changed? I think that I think that things have, um, not hugely, in some ways, but in, in other. But I just think that the conversation is now on the surface, yeah. and now people know. People true. recognize. People talk about it. People think about it. Even if whatever um, point of view people come from, it is something that was thought about. Whereas before, it was not at all. And I think that's a big, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge difference. I think there's more to come in in various capacities. But I, I do think, um, yeah. So I do think that things have have changed. Well, I mean, one, 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 one sign of advances is the fact that you were a guest of honor at. Necronomicon, yeah. which is the yeah. Lovecraft convention, uh, and um, uh, they, they asked me to write something for the program book, and the guy, when he was sending me the email, was saying, I want this conversation to go on, and I want it to go on at Necronomicon. Now, mm-hmm. that's something I don't think would have happened six or seven years ago. Yeah, yeah. And I assume and they the, had a good time there. I, mean, yeah, I assume I you were yeah. – yeah, I had it was, it was a, that was a great experience, and, I, and, and there were moments of awkwardness. And discomfort, where uh-huh. I'm like, oh boy, here we go, and what's happening around me? What what is this? You know, there were definitely three or four moments of that while I was there. But I was glad because if if I had gone to that and those moments did not happen, that would have been more problematic. So, like I said, I I, I like for conversations to happen. I like for discussions yeah. to be had, and I'm not afraid of the discomfort. Um, I'm not afraid of the anger that some people will have. Like, I'm not afraid of that. And I think that's good because what happens when those conversations or that anger is not expressed is more problematic to me. So, so yeah, I thought that like my experience at, at the con was really, was really positive to me. It was really Mm -hmm. positive. Um, and, and even those moments of discomfort were positive moments to me. I see them as positive moments. Uh huh. That strikes me as being particularly encouraging given the broader perspective of politics in the world and everything that's happening around us, which we touched on before we started recording for a moment. You know, these mm-hmm. are not the, the simplest times and they're not the happiest times politically. And so anything mm-hmm. that sees a, a conversation moving forward has to be a welcome thing. You know? Yeah, I agree. But, but we have delayed you long enough. I mean, sort of, we're sort of at the end of our hour. Uh, with a Carter Warrior due out like next week, which is wonderful. I've been waiting to read it for six years, so I'm very, very eager to get a hold of it. And with another, with Binti due out in January, and with Remote Control sometime in the next part of the year, we're going to be reading a lot more of your stuff, which is exciting. And thank you, thank you for making the time to talk to us. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. This has been awesome.
Okay, great. Let's get together sometime soon. <laughs> okay. Right. Well, that's us for this week. Thank you again, Nettie. And until next week, we remain, now as ever, the Cooch Street Podcast.